Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this evening's Thursday Midweek Refuel. And uh, uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm privileged and honored to share God's word with you day after day, week after week. Every time we open the Bible, it is just such, um, such a blessing. I want to, um, I want to go into a time of prayer because it's halfway through the week and there are so many things that plague our mind, fill our mind, consume our mind and captivate our mind. Uh, there are thoughts, there are arguments, there are uh, people, you, you know, uh, that we have to deal with at work. Many, most of you are are, are working more hours than you ever have, uh, quite honestly. And our young people also, uh, they are struggling with their own challenges. Married people struggling with their challenges. Families uh, cooped up in a room together or cooped up in a small house together. They're, they've got their challenges. Everybody is struggling in one way or the other. Are there people who are worse off than others? Absolutely. Uh, we're all in different sized boats, but we're all in the same storm. And we're all in need of that injection of the love and patience and the grace and the mercy of God on a daily basis. Uh, Thursday nights are a time when we uh, kind of get together and just, just go over the word, especially for those of you who are a little bit more uh, keen on, 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 on studying the word and, and understanding the, the deeper text of scriptures. So I just wanted to make a little transition uh, from what we have been doing these past weeks uh, and months, uh, right through the pandemic, and as well as uh, kind of in every possible way, trying to encourage you and build you up. I want to get deeper. I want to get more solid. And I want to engage uh, thinkers. I want to engage people who ask questions. And I want us to go further than just an encouragement and a midweek refuel. So from next week onwards, I'm actually going to look at theological topics, um, not necessarily at the standard and the depth at which they handle it in Bible college or in seminary, but uh, answering larger questions like, uh, like how does God deal with, uh, with the brokenness of man and uh, how does he expect people to live up to the high expectations and the standards of the Christian life when life is broken, people are broken. How does he deal with uh, uh, stray stray believers, and 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 uh, is there punitive action? Does the church and should the church um, discipline people today? There are these are questions that nobody's talking about. You know, uh, what do we do with the whole uh, confusion of mysticism and Christian uh, Christian experience? What 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 people have now understood as an experience rather than a knowledge of the truth? You know, how do we deal with um, uh, with difficult families and in families, difficult confrontational issues? Um, and how does God respond to that? How do we uh, how do we heal from pain of, of words and of actions? You know, really get into the character of God and where our life and the character of God meet and uh, talk about stuff like that. So when I say theology, uh, I'm not necessarily talking about just the, the fundamental uh nuggets of our faith uh, although there's there's no harm in touching those on on and off and we will we will make reference to those but more decisively uh, life life topics and questions that aren't necessarily uh, talked about in church and that we can't necessarily talk about on Sunday morning so I will pick mine and you can also throw in my direction questions and areas that you feel you want to know more about Areas of life, areas of, of behavior, areas of relationships, areas of, of, um, of, of um, uh, 
uh, what's that word of ethics um and 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 godliness that you want to know more about i would love for you to just email me at pastor jeremy pst jeremy at gmail.com and and uh, let me know those topics so that will give me kind of uh, a head start all right so we're going to say a word of prayer and just prepare our hearts and thoughts for this evening father in heaven we know that there is so much lord on our mind and heart and we are we are fatigued and tired from the non-stop work from uh, from uh, from watching screens from listening to audios that are not necessarily uh, comfortable to listen to lord we have tried to engage with people and try to be calm and patient we also try to accomplish much and stay on board meet targets uh, we have also tried to be uh, happy and and keep our thoughts positive in the middle of all of this lord we seek you we seek your face father we want to know you we want to know more of you we want to sit at your feet and to gain from you the wisdom and understanding that only you can give father we pray for those who are who are scared of the virus and who are just living in constant fear of what could happen if they caught the virus it is a very valid and very present clear and present danger uh we pray for those who are running uh, down on uh, resources they're dwindling in their savings as they spend uh, and no income comes in we pray for the many people whose careers de- heavily depended on daily wages daily uh, earnings whose whose lives depended on on other people traveling and 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 buying and investing and uh, they've they've ceased to get that kind of income now lord and father this is the time where you can prove yourself as the master provider the shepherd jehovah jireh this is the time when you can prove that you have not forgotten and that wealth and prosperity uh daily daily um, our daily needs our daily bread doesn't come from man it doesn't come from jobs it comes from you lord prove yourself in mighty ways this this uh, this during this period of time lord as we go into your word right now i pray that you would nudge people to join us tonight nudge people to make a better choice to use this time better nudge people into the fellowship of the word and give us a discipline to set time aside every thursday night to think to ask to engage we will always be tired it'll never be interesting enough there'll always be something more important to do there will never be a right time a right attitude and a right feeling for spiritual life we will always have to choose right rather than what's convenient so father give that wisdom and give that uh, that strength to make the right decision in jesus name i pray amen this evening i want to answer the question um what or why does jesus heal why does jesus heal and and it's it's devotional in its in its perspective and its in its tone but as as of next week very similar but we'll get into the word and i'd even like to pass out notes if possible as we move forward uh for those who said good evening on the chat sister anita and sister uh, swati thank you so much it's good to have you with us okay why did jesus heal now that might be a ridiculous question at uh, at first glance or 
when you first hear it. But, uh, but the reason I ask that question is, there were many reasons why Jesus didn't need to heal. The question sometimes is about, can Jesus heal or can God heal? But the real question that if we answered, our prayers would be far more effective. The real question is, why did, does God heal? Not when does God heal or can God heal, but why does God heal? And when we understand that God is determined, God is committed to healing, and that Jesus uh, uh, showed that, he displayed that, we would go quicker into his presence. We would run quicker into his presence to ask God to heal, to heal us, to heal loved ones around us when we think about God's healing. Uh, Jesus walked about the face of the earth, uh, and during his three years of ministry, he taught and, uh, and, and preached in synagogues time and time again. If you will turn, to, turn with me in the book of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so that Mark, and uh, go to chapter 1 and verse 35. Chapter 1 and verse 35. And I want to start out there with just understanding what is happening here and the, the background of it. Jesus is preaching in Galilee. And the previous verses, even before that, talks about Jesus healing many people. Now, Mark was, uh, uh, was one who really put the camera on Jesus's ministry and servant life. Uh, Matthew put the, put the camera on Jesus's kingship, his lineage, and uh, very, very organizedly, like an accountant, he categorized all of Jesus's uh, miracles and, and, and his activity. Luke is a medical doctor, and he looked at the humanity of Jesus. He focused on the, on the suffering of man, the suffering of Christ, and how Jesus felt and, and identified with that suffering, with, with man. And uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John focused on the love of God and the grace of God as, as in the Son. So you'll, you'll see the phrase, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, mentioned over, the Son of Man, mentioned over and over again. That was, that's a messianic title given to Jesus, the Son of Man, which means he is, the, he is God in the flesh. He is God in Son form. Uh, if God were to have a Son and have access to the Father and have uh, have uh, be an, an inheritor of all that God is. That son was represented in Jesus. That that's how Jesus showed us. There's a whole lot more, but I just gave you a, a snippet of that. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark focused on the servanthood of Jesus. He was absolutely fascinated by the brokenness of Christ, by the servanthood, the emptiness of Christ. And uh, so we find that. And he, he features a lot of leadership and false uh, and bad, poor leadership in the religious leaders around. And he marks that. Uh, so he, he's talking about the healing of Jesus here. And I've picked Mark chapter 1. If you go to verse 35, Verse 35 says, the rising and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Are you with me? Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Simon is Simon Peter. Peter always seemed to have taken a, a, a role there in, in, in being the mouth, being the spokesperson. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Where are you? Where have you been? And he said to them, let us go on to the next town. The next towns, you see the plural there? 
uh, go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So these three things are very, there are five, uh, uh, there's the fivefold ministry of Jesus, but three things in his daily walk. He, he was preaching everywhere he went in synagogues and on the seas of shores of Galilee. He was preaching. He was casting out demons. So next week, probably I'll look at why did Jesus cast out demons? Why was it important? Why was it integral? Why was it pivotal to his ministry that he cast out demons? What did it show? What did it prove that he cast out? Was it just that so many people were full of demons and that he had to cast out or that it was a favorite ministry or he had a specific deliverance ministry? Why was it important, pivotal, critical that Jesus kept casting out demons? I'll explain that perhaps next week. So we have the preaching and then we have the casting out of demons. And the third thing we have is healing. Okay, that's why I asked the question, if Jesus came to preach, if he came to bring about the kingdom of God, what was the significance of healing and why does Jesus heal? And this evening, there are many, but this evening I just want to share with you three reasons why Jesus healed. Three reasons why Jesus healed. Let's look at the first passage of scripture here in verse 40 of chapter 1. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him. So the leper came to him, imploring and kneeling. Came to him, imploring, kneeling. What would you do if someone came to you with that kind of an attitude? that kind of a posture, that kind of, an, uh, of, a, of a sense, a tone, uh, a picture. A leper came to him imploring, kneeling. If you will, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't question Jesus' ability. <laughs> he questions Jesus' willingness. The issue is, does God want it? You and I, we don't doubt God's ability to do good, to provide. We doubt God's abil willingness. God is good, but is he good to me? God is capable, but is he capable and strong for me? Uh, God is a saving uh, God, but will he save me? God protects, but does he protect me? You know, it's, it, it gets personal when we, when we feel that we may not make it into the pleasure and the favor of God. It's a very personal thing. So a leper came to him, imploring, kneeling. And if you will, he says, you can make me clean. clean. And I love what it says in verse 41. Moved with pity. Moved with pity. Underline, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, I, I will. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, I will. He stretched out his hand. He touched the leper. And he says, I will. I want to. I want to heal. I'm glad you asked. I will. And then Jesus healed. Be clean. See, sometimes what God does follows our willingness to challenge his will, our willingness to, to acknowledge his will. Lord, you can do it. But will you do it? Will you do it for me? Lord, you can do it. But will you do it? And will you do it for me? See, if you come to God as a, as a, as a merciless sinner, a poorly performing saint, broken, still living in the mindset of your sin, and you come to God uh, not expecting anything after all that Jesus has done for you, 
then God delivers what you're expecting. But when you and I come to God in the, in the, in the assurance that he is a merciful God, that we have right to him, that we have access to him, and all we got to do is move his will. And this prayer and this attitude will move his will. He came kneeling. He came imploring. And he said, Lord, if you want. Lord, if you want. And Jesus says, oh, I want. I want. I will be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and said to him, sent him away. He says, uh, see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer your offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof of them. So there was in Levitical laws, if a, a leper became well, there were certain ways the leper could be reintroduced into the society, uh, announced and pronounced as clean. And he said he wanted him to do that. So basically he wanted, to, wanted him as a result of healing to re-enter into community. As a result of healing to re-enter into community. Uh, this guy, of course, couldn't shut his trap and he went and told everybody what God had done for him, which is great. But that made things difficult for Jesus. He couldn't hang out there too much. So he had to move to places that were more desolate. And people were coming to him nonetheless from every quarter. From every quarter. All right. Let's move to the next one. Number one, Jesus heals in response to pity. Jesus heals in response to pity. Jesus took pity on people. Jesus showed mercy. Jesus' heart was moved. Jesus does respond. Jesus does look at the plight. He does look at the attitude. And he does look at the question and Jesus does heal. The second reason Jesus heals is down here in chapter 2 verse 1 to 12 where you have the story of the paralytic you have the story of the four friends and the ones who let him down Okay, and so when he returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported that he, uh, that he was at a home, a particular home, they knew the address and many were gathered together so that there was no more room uh, to get through the main door, the conventional traditional uh, way so not, not, not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them. Everyone's rapt uh, attention. They're listening to Jesus. Jesus is preaching and they came and bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let him down let down the bed on which the paralytic lay and when Jesus saw their faith when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does the, what does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived, I'm in chapter 2 verse uh, 8, and immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they uh, thus questioned him without, uh, within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is actually easier, to forgive sin or to heal the sick? To forgive sin or heal the sick? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I said to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed, uh, went out from before him so that they all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. That's not true. They had seen healings before. They had seen healings before. So what did they never see like this? What did they never experience before like this? That, that someone, a son of man, a human being can pronounce forgiveness prior to healing somebody, that forgiveness and healing go together. This was significant because for them, sin and sickness went together. Sickness was for, more, sickness was for the most part uh, a result, uh, a punishment, punitive action from God for sin. Is that true? 
partially it's true that from the very beginning of time, sickness and brokenness came into the world because sin came into the world. So sin is the original cause, but sin is not the immediate cause or the reason for someone's sickness. If someone gets COVID or someone gets uh, cancer or someone gets some kind of de uh, deadly disease or someone even gets hurt, it's not punishment. It's not punishment. So they considered uh, uh, sickness or hurt or pain directed to sin. So when they, uh, when they would look at maybe a leper or when they looked at somebody who was very poor or, or, or is in a bad shape, they would say, this is the result of his sin. Who sinned, him or his father? Look at the blind man. Who sinned, him or his father? And they would connect it to a sin. And Jesus wanted to prove that he can heal because he can forgive. I repeat, Jesus wanted to prove that he can heal because he can forgive. Healing is possible. But in this context, Jesus was proving that because he can forgive sin and sin is taken away, if sin is taken away and the root cause has been dealt with, then healing is also on its way. If sin has been removed from creation, creation can be healed. If sin is removed from the mind and healed, a mind is healed. If a mind is forgiven, then the mind can be healed. If the heart is forgiven, the heart can be healed. So there is hope for those who are broken and, and torn apart. There is hope for those who are messed up by life, by all the things that life has thrown at them. If, for, if their sin is forgiven, then there is healing for whatever damage sin has caused, either their sin or other people's sin. That is why we preach the gospel first. Some people say to us, why are you preaching the gospel when there are more immediate needs? Why are you preaching the gospel when there are more immediate needs? What does that mean? Right now they need bread and uh, bread and, uh, uh, and, and food. Right now they need uh, medical attention. Right now they, there are more pressing needs. There are more. The church must be more available to for the pressing. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But forgiveness precedes healing. When Jesus healed this particular person, the reason he made a point of it is because Jesus healed to prove that sin was forgiven. If sin can be just, uh, wiped out, if sin can be cleaned, then the probability of healing is greater. So did Jesus heal people who are not sorry? Did Jesus heal people who were not uh, did not ask for forgiveness? Yeah, a lot of people. So healing is there. But in this case, number one, we learned that Jesus healed in response to pity. And here we are here learning that Jesus healed in response to forgiveness of sin. So when he first forgave the man's sin, he showed that first God heals the spirit, first God heals the soul, and then he also heals the body. And that healing for the body is secondary in importance to healing of the soul, and that God wants to heal the soul. And the soul is healed by being right with God, by being forgiven. Let's move on. So firstly, in response to pity, Jesus heals. Secondly, in response to, uh, uh, to prove sin was forgivable, to prove sin was forgiven, that he could prove Jesus healed. And the third one, the third one is in regard to criticism, in regard to criticism. When Jesus's um, honor was at stake, when Jesus's reputation was at stake, when Jesus's safety was at stake, would Jesus still heal? Jump with me to page, uh, to chapter three, verse one to six. Okay, we look at this and close. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there withered in a, with a withered hand. It's very interesting that Jesus did a lot of healing in the synagogue. 
Because a lot of the healings were lessons. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus healed for healing's sake. Jesus healed uh, for mercy's sake. But Jesus healed a lot to prove what he was doing and who he was. And here again in a synagogue, he's, he's speaking. He's healing. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. His, his hand was all withered up, right? Number two, verse two. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So that they might accuse him. So Jesus is in a sticky position here. He knows what's going on. He knows the minds and hearts of men. And he knows that if he does good for this person, if he heals this person, this is going to be more than just a healing. This is going to be a debate. Number three, verse three. And he said to the man with the withered hand, with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus not only proved his lordship over, uh, over creation, he not only proved his lordship over sin, but Jesus also proved his lordship over the law. Over the law. That Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law. So if you're going to take down Jesus by using the law, not going to happen. Jesus is the God who signed the law. And he signs a new law at the cross. Uh, that's a whole different subject, but I thought I'd throw that in. Verse 4. And he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, the same or to kill? But they were silent. They were silent. Because they didn't want to argue. They wanted to accuse. They didn't want to be convinced. They wanted to uh, contradict. They wanted to uh, uh, find fault with Jesus. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Whoa, whoa, stop. Wait, look at that again. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. I've been sharing with the young people of the last, over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about discipleship. And the Christian life has a lot to do. The, the, the soil, the four soils, you remember, has a lot to do with the state of the heart. And the heart is independent of the mind. The heart is the seat of volition where free will reigns. And the mind is the, is the processing uh, unit which, which is affected and, and influenced by culture, by nurture, by nature, by upbringing, by, by surroundings, by, by relationships, by love, by loneliness. The, the mind is, is, into, is, is influenced a lot by that. Thoughts come, thoughts go. Thoughts stay, thoughts uh, develop. But the heart is the seat of our volition. It is the I will or I will not. And God does not look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. And when he sees a hard heart, he gets angry and he hardens that heart. When he sees a soft heart, he gets merciful and he loosens that heart. So the heart is independent of the mind. I love apologetics. I love convincing people. I love to talk people and, and convince people through love, through, through relationships, through care, through ministry, to bring them into the family of God. I love to do that. I love to see hearts and minds changed. But God knows the original condition of a heart. And you can have people in the world with a soft heart toward God. And you can have people in the church with a hard heart towards God. 
And God deals with people according to their heart. And if the heart is softened, if the heart is wholehearted, then God responds in mercy. He responds in grace. He responds with greater light, greater, greater revelation. So here we have, that was just a little bit of a detour on the matter of the heart. And Jesus is angry. One of the few times Jesus got angry. And he looked at them, not because they had questions. God doesn't have problems with your doubts. Doubts are up here. Doubts are in the mind. God will lovingly, patiently answer your doubts. Thomas, why do you doubt? Come, put your, put your finger in my, in my palm. Touch it. This is the one that, where the nail went. Touch it. Thomas, don't doubt. Just believe. Why was Jesus willing to negotiate with Thomas, a doubter? We call him the doubting apostle or doubting disciple. He would rather deal with your doubts and help you find faith than deal with a hard heart. God does not respond to a hard heart, a closed heart, an unwilling heart. But if a heart is open, he will clear all your doubts. He'll clear all your doubts. So here we have it. Uh, Verse 4. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? He's really ticked off with them. He says, but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. Easy. Easy peasy. Healing part is the easiest part. Okay, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Finished. Story done. Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him? What? Someone just healed and you don't believe? Aha! Because he, faith doesn't come from answers. Faith doesn't come from the answers to the mind. Faith comes from revelation to the heart. And God will not reveal himself to a hard heart. God will not reveal himself and show the light of his love and grace to a hard heart. A hard heart will go straight to hell for the heart. And and, and it's not a thought process that softens a man's heart. A man in his spirit, a man deep in himself, the inner man has already decided, does he want to be a friend of God and an enemy of God? He's already, there's a deep decision that happens here. And once that heart opens, it opens, God begins to respond. And how does God respond? How does God deal with a hard heart? He knocks on it. He knocks on it. He gives... Uh, he jump starts a heart. He gives <laughs> he gives that shock treatment, shock therapy to the heart. Every now and then, the word of God comes bam into the heart, and the heart is, is 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 shaken a little bit. And then in those moments, the heart can decide: Do I want to be open to God? Do I want to be hard? Or sometimes, unwillingness to forgive, unwillingness to acknowledge life is tough, that there is suffering in the world. I don't know what it is, but certain things make a person hard-hearted. And you can convince that person and convince that person until you're blue in the face and nothing's ever going to change. Or you can come to terms with the fact that God is the one who softens hearts. God is the one who speaks to hearts. So here we are. The third reason why Jesus healed is regardless of criticism. Jesus healed regardless of criticism. Jesus is not here to, 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 to prove to the hard-hearted. To prove to the hard-hearted. Start with with the leper. The leper wanted Christ to heal him. He implored. He knelt. There's a soft heart. The friends brought the paralytic. 
and he saw their faith that was an open heart and then the pharisees and sadducees right over here they were hard hearted and jesus was angry with them but he's still going to heal regardless of the law regardless of what they thought regardless of trying to convince them he still healed why because the man's hand was withered the man's hand was withered so in situations where we think god could never do that he will do it the question is what is god responding to so god's healing is always a response god's healing is a proving of himself and we can come to him in ev- with every confidence and say lord lord heal lord i need you lord i know you can but will you will you do it for me and he will ask do you want to be healed and we say yes we want to be healed and there's a meeting of the wills i will and i will and there you have it the miraculous happens i wonder what this means to you and to me whether you are applying this to your own uh, life or you're thinking about how to experience it to somebody else either way the fact is that that god can heal but the reason he heals and why we once we understand the reasons he heal we will be uh, we will be a lot more confident in asking him to get into our lives